Good morning, church. Lord's blessings on you today. We have uh, gone the better part of a year looking at the attributes of God, and we are starting to wind this series down. We think it has been important because, to be honest, it's what God instructed us to do as we thought him, sought Him for uh, 2018. And uh, <clears throat> we trust that you have come to know God better and recognize who you are in Christ. Today we will be looking at perhaps an attribute we should have looked at first, which is the holiness of God or God's holiness. Would you pray with me, please? Father, in the name of Jesus, we do come to you this morning so grateful for your love and all that you have done to us. Father, we ask that you would open the ears and the hearts of our understanding, that your Holy Spirit may have his way in our hearts today. And I ask, Father, that the words that come from these lips would be your words, would bring life and abundance, peace and joy, and would transform us from glory to glory in the name of Jesus. I thank you for it. Amen. Well, when I started looking at this, the first question I asked myself is, what do I know about God's holiness? Well, the first thing I know is God is holy. Intrinsically, it's his nature. He is holy. And we're going to look at this a little bit more, but so that this makes sense, what does holiness, what does holy mean? And it means, basically, it means set apart. God is set apart. There is none like him. None like him. None close to him. He is set apart from everything. There is none as holy as set apart as God. The second thing I know is that because man has become intrinsically sinful, man therefore is set apart from a holy and righteous God by our sins. Why is that? Because man who was created on the sixth day of creation who was created in God's image, sinned by his own free choice and became unholy. And through their sin, corrupted the world that God had created for them. And since then, there is an impassable gulf that separates a pure, holy, sinless God from his vile, now vile, sinful creation. But hallelujah, God made a way where there was no way. You see, God's intent and purpose for us, the reason why he created us different from the world, the reason why he initially created us separated unto him, was that he wanted to love us and have fellowship with us. He wanted us to be his son's bride. And he wasn't about to let man's poor choice defeat his purposes. But because God, by his nature, is holy, he had to have a way in which to satisfy his nature while still dealing with the sinfulness of man. And the only way for that was for his incarnate son 
who John tells us was the word of God or is the word of God, that he should become man, live a sinless life, and take the curse of our defilement and penalty for our sins on himself by being nailed to a tree. We read in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 22 and 23, If anyone is found guilty of an offense deserving the death penalty and is executed, and you hang his body on a tree, you are not to leave the corpse on the tree overnight, but are to bury him that day. For anyone hung on a tree is under God's curse. You must not defile the land of the Lord your God, the land that the Lord your God is giving to you as an inheritance. We were cursed, the earth was cursed when Adam and Eve sinned. Really, when Adam sinned. We were born under that curse. Somebody had to take the curse in our place in order for us to have the opportunity to have a right relationship with God, our Father, who is set apart from the sinful nature and world. The Bible tells us that when God forgets our sins, he remembers them no more. It says he throws them in the sea of forgetfulness. And it says that he separates our sins as far as the east is from the west. Now, I don't know where that is. You can head east or you can head west, and you're never going to end up going the other direction. So that's pretty far. That's, but not only does he separate us from our sins that far, that's how far he has separated himself from sinful man. That's why, and that's because he is holy. In the Christian life, there are two types of holiness. The first type is positional holiness. And we receive that as a gift when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. It's a one-time act of the Holy Spirit on the heart of believers when they first receive Christ's righteousness through believing in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord and because of his finished work on the cross. Maybe I can help explain it this way. 30, almost 30, well, roughly 35 years ago, I married my wife, Tricia. That was a great day. But today, 35 years later, I'm still as married to Tricia. I'm still her hus- as much her husband today as I was that first day. When we were born again, when we received the gift of Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross in our place, we were made positionally holy before God. That means God chose to see Jesus when he looks at us from then on. We are still positionally as holy today, even though we haven't lived as holy all the time. We are still positionally as holy today as we were that day when we said, Jesus, please come into my heart, be my Lord and my Savior, and change my life. So we've gone through a lot of life since then. And we have had struggles since then. And sometimes we have failed since then, sometimes miserably. But when Jesus looks at you right now, when God looks at you right now, 
He doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see you as unrighteous. He doesn't see you as unholy. When God looks at you right now, he sees Jesus Christ. Who did not sin at all. Secondly, there's progressive holiness. We often talk about this as sanctification. And this is a walk, a process. Because you see, when I was born again, some things happened internally. But my mind still tried to tell me that the old man was still the, uh, who I was. My, well, my mind was still in the gutter. And I still have the old ways of thinking about things. Something changed in my spirit. I now recognize that my mind was, was thinking badly, poorly, wrongly. But my spirit said, you can do better. And encouraged me. I struggled for a long time because I didn't understand the key to overcoming in the Christian life. I didn't understand the key to living progressively holy. And actually, there's more than one key. But the other keys are what to do, and this key is how to do it. In God's word, it says that when that we are new creatures in Christ, that our old nature died with Christ in baptism, and our new nature, that is the one created in his image, rose with Christ. And the life we now live, we live by faith in Jesus Christ, the only begotten, begotten Son of God, who is one with the Father. So this word holy, we kind of talked about separation, but... I'd like to dig into that a little bit more. The Webster 1828 Dictionary defines holy. It has actually, you know how dictionaries have multiple uh, uh, definitions. It actually has two. The first one is properly whole, entire, or perfect in a moral sense. Hence, pure in heart, temper, or dispositions, free of sin and sinful affections, applied to the supreme being, Holy signifies perfectly mature, immaculate, and complete in moral character. The man is, and man is more or less holy in his heart, is more or less sanctified or purified from evil dispositions. We call a man holy when his heart is conformed in some degree to the image of God, and his life is regulated by divine precepts. Hence, holy is used nearly synonymously with, God, with good, pious, godly. That's the first definition. And Peter says, uh, Peter records where the Father said, I am holy. Therefore, you be holy. The second definition says, is defined as hallowed, consecrated, or set apart to sacred use or to service or worship of the God, of God. Um, a sense frequent in scripture as the holy Sabbath, holy oil, holy vessels, holy nation, holy temple, holy priesthood. Every Christian should be living a life that demonstrates being set apart unto the service of God. So we see... Uh, Holiness or set-apartness in two ways. One, we see God is set apart 
from sin and being set apart from everything else that he created. But the second sense we see is us being set apart unto his service. That's why we're still here. That's why we, when we said, Jesus, come into my heart, we weren't raptured. We didn't die. We're still here because God wants others to see his holiness reflected in us. He wants us to be conveyors of the good news that you can be holy because he is holy. And as each one of us could say, if God can work that in me, he can work that in anybody. Strong's Greek Concordance defines the Greek word hagios as holy, sacred. Literally, it means in the likeness of the nature with the Lord because we are different from the world. Let me say that again. We have the likeness of the nature of the Lord because we are different from the world. So we can see that the fundamental core meaning of that word, different, it's different. It's set apart from the world because we are like the Lord. That's what salvation does. It takes that old rotten human nature, buries it with Christ in baptism, and raises us up as new creatures in the image of God. And I don't care what kind of week, month, or year you've had, you are in the image of God if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You are a new image in the likeness of God. And the world may try to tell you you're not. The devil may try to tell you you're not. Your flesh may try to tell you you're not. But the word of God says you are. The Strong's Hebrew Concordance defines the Hebrew word for holy, which is kadash. And the Bible teaches that God is a holy God. The idea behind the concept of holiness, as we said, is separation. And it comes from a word meaning to separate or to cut off. God is separate or cut off from everything that is sinful and evil because he cannot tolerate sin. And John wrote about this. Uh, figuratively in John chapter 1 verse 5 when he says this is the message we have heard from him and declared to you God is light and in him there is no darkness in Exodus 15 11 we read who among the gods is like you O Lord who is like you majestic in holiness awesome in glory working wonders I love the testimony Dan gave today. Working wonders and accelerating things. I, I, I might be wrong, but wasn't, wasn't uh, the, the Disney tour in the United States what she really wanted to do in the first place? And she was going to go to the, to the Disney thing in, in uh, Belgium to try to get into the other one, right? God accelerated that whole thing. <clears throat> I love how much God loves us. 
He not only gives us the desires, He not only puts the desires of our heart in there, but then He fulfills them in miraculous ways. What we know that only God is intrinsically holy. In Revelation 15:4, we read, "Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? Who shall not fear you, O Lord?" Some place, I, I, I think it's Paul. I might be uh, mistaken, but the Bible says, "Don't fear he who can kill you, who can take your physical life. Fear him who can condemn you to hell." Who does not fear you, O Lord? And glorify your name. For only you are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee. For thy judgments are made manifest. What does the Bible say about holiness? Well, it says a whole lot. It says a whole lot more than you want to sit here this morning and listen to. But in part, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 16, which uh, Tricia covered in the reading, Peter writes to the believers, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Can I, can I take the liberty to say that grace is a gift? So the grace that came to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, or the gift that came to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus was revealed to the world almost 2,000 years ago, but each of us need that personal revelation that Jesus Christ is the Lord, is the Savior, is the only way into God's presence As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be yourselves holy also in all of your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Let me read that. You shall be holy, for I am holy. It's not you shall be holy because you're going to do a lot of good, or more good than bad as, the, as uh, uh, the Muslims would want us to believe. No, that's not what it says. <clears throat> it says, you shall be holy because God is holy. And if you were to, to stretch that out, it would say, you shall be holy because you have the nature of God and God is holy. You are holy because of that personal revelation, of the effect of that personal revelation of Jesus Christ in your life. God's holiness pervades his entire being and affects all of his attributes. His love is a holy love, his mercy is a holy mercy. Even his anger and wrath are a holy anger and a holy wrath. All right, so what does it mean for us to be holy then? In, the, in Leviticus 11 and 19, God told Israel to be holy. 
He was instructing them to be distinct from other nations. And he gave them the specific regulations that governed their lives that would make them distinct from other nations. That's good news and that's bad news. Good news is God is making us, has made us distinct from other people and other nations, from the world. The bad news is ever since Israel became distinct, everybody's tried to, to wipe them out. And so our spiritual enemies are going to try to wipe us out. But Israel's still here and God is still on his throne. Amen. When the spiritual, we are the spiritual Israel. We are God's chosen nation. And God has set us apart from all other people groups. We are his special people. And consequently, we were given standards that God wants us to live by so that the world will know that we are distinct, that we are set apart unto him. When Peter repeats the Lord's words in 1 Peter 1.16, he is talking specifically to believers. And as believers, we need to be set apart from the world unto the Lord. We need to be living by God's standards and not the world's. God isn't calling us to be perfect in this world, but to be distinct from it. 1 Peter 2.9 describes us as a holy nation, and that is a fact. We are separated from the world, and we need to live out that reality in our day-to-day -day lives. And at, up to this point, you can say, Wayne, you haven't told me much I don't already know. Every day... I'm reminded that I don't do, I don't follow God's regulations. Every day I'm reminded I'm a sinner. Every day I'm reminded I failed God. It's not how God sees it, but it certainly is how we see it, isn't it? At least it's the way I many times I see it. But we can become progressively more set apart unto God. Holiness is the result of a right relationship with God by believing in Jesus Christ as his Savior and receiving his gift of eternal life. Because when that happens, that's when the old man dies and the new man comes to life. That new man in his image. But if our faith is not placed in God's Son alone to save us from our sins... We're going to fail in our pursuit of holiness. As true believers, we need to recognize that our position in Christ automatically sets us apart from the world. We have a relationship with the living God. Then we must daily live a set-apart life, not trying to blend into the world, but instead according to God's word as we study the Bible and grow in it. To be holy means that, first of all, we are set apart unto God for honorable use. The Lord took the initiative to pull us out of our former lifestyles. He saved us. He cleanses us. He sets us apart for righteousness. If we believe Christ for salvation, we have been washed by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit and set apart unto God for holiness. However, that's not where it ends. And that's not where our faith in believing ends. Because, you see, if I believe that the old man is still me and I'm not the new man, what am I going to act like? I'm going to act like the old man. But if instead, by faith, I accept what God said, 
and believe I am a new creature made into his likeness, that my desires are no longer evil and selfish, but my desires are his desires, then I'm going to act like what I believe. I don't want to put condemnation on anybody. But for a long time I found it interesting that when we pray to God, oftentimes we say, Oh, Father, would you just do this or just do that? Like, it's no big deal, God, and, 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 and it wouldn't be a big deal for you, so couldn't you just grant us this little bitty wish? What does that reflect? That reflects what I really believe about God's willingness to answer my prayers. That somehow I have to convince him. Long flowery prayers. Somehow I just have to convince God that this is a good thing. Did you ever notice most of Jesus' prayers when he was asking for something? Healing, deliverance. They're not long and flowery prayers. When he was talking with God, like when he talked about the Lord's Prayer, when he prayed in the garden, or when he prayed a number of things for his disciples as he was preparing to leave them. He had a long conversation with God. But when it came to asking for things or, 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 or uh, speaking things out, deliverance, healing, they were short itty-bitty prayers. They were really commands. Be it done unto you as you believe. Rise, take up your bed and walk. Because he had that relationship with God His prayers reflected what he believed about prayer. Now again, I understand. Sometimes I pray just. But I'm just saying, what we believe is reflected in what we do and how we do things. This pursuit of holiness does not end when we come to Christ. In fact, it just begins. There is a positional holiness that we inherit at regeneration and a progressive holiness which we must actively pursue. We do this by considering ourselves dead to sin, Romans 6.11. And in this way, we cleanse ourselves from what is dishonorable, becoming vessels for honorable use, set apart, useful to the master for every work, which is 2 Timothy 2.21. In Philippians 2, uh, uh, 12 and 13, it says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. A long time I've wondered, what does that mean? Work out your own salvation. God God saved me. What do I have to work out? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and work for his good pleasure. In these verses, we see the the cooperation between God and his children. We work out what God works in us. God works it in us, and we do it. That's what Jesus said. He said, I do what I see my Father doing. Our responsibility is to yield to his wishes, his working out, his desires, with focused attention and great care those things that he is causing to grow in us. Holiness will not be brought to completion in our lives with no effort on our part. Positional holiness, yes. But progressive holiness, not so. 
we are invited to participate in God's work with us. And this is perhaps the most important lesson a Christian can learn. God's ultimate desire for us is that we be holy, conformed to the image of his son Jesus, Romans 8, 29. Holiness is the will of God in our lives. So how do we cooperate with the Holy Spirit? How do we work out our salvation? If I could be obedient to God's will in my own strength, Jesus would have never needed to come. But the fact is, before Jesus, I could not do it by my own will. And after Jesus, I still can't do it by my own will. You know me well, don't you? All of the Old Testament and all of the experiences of my life tell me that I cannot please God by my own will and strength. I need God's strength in order to obey him. And I find his strength in the second part of baptism. Indeed, my old rebellious nature had to die and be buried with Christ. But that's only half of what living holy unto the Lord requires. The second half is my new nature, renewed in God's image, was raised with Christ in baptism. It is my new nature that enjoys doing God's will and living set apart unto others. Paul reveals to us a key in Romans 12, too, when he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. By the testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and perfect. And we renew our mind by believing that the old nature is dead, and the new nature is alive. Have you ever had an opportunity to witness to somebody? And you're like, mm, they might not like it. They might not like me. They might not receive what I have to say. They might laugh at me. And so you, you wanted to. but you didn't want to. Well, you see, it's how we, who we consider who we are. First of all, none of those things would matter if I'm separated from the world, if I'm distinct from the world and separated unto God. Then what man thinks of me doesn't count, doesn't hurt me at all. It's what God thinks of me that matters. The second thing is, is that if I'm a new creature, even though the devil, the mind, the old mind, the, the flesh might be trying to tell me, yeah, you don't want to do that. It's, 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 it's my desire because it's God's desire that everybody would hear the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ had died for them and they can have everlasting joy by receiving the free gift that he offers. And now, because it's God's desire, which makes it my desire, that desire is so much more empowering than the fear that the, that the old nature would try to interact. And so we have choices. That's what Romans is all about, is choice. When I was an old creature, before I knew Jesus, I had no choice. I had to... I, I only had one choice, and that was to do what my flesh wanted to. I had no other choice available to me. But once I became a new creature, now my choice is simple. Yield to the flesh, 
yield to the Holy Spirit, yield to the new nature. And it all depends on who I believe I am. If I believe I'm still that old person, struggling, trying to become like God or in God's nature, I'm going to act like it. If I believe I'm a new creature in Christ, in made, recreated in God's image, I'm going to act like that new nature. We renew our mind by believing that our old nature, along with its lusts and desires, are dead, and the new nature is alive unto Christ. God helps us in our weaknesses by giving us his Holy Spirit, who reminds us or gives us the mind of Christ and enables us to carry out God's will. When we yield to the Holy Spirit through the renewing of our minds, we become fruitful-bearing Christians, yielding a harvest which God is well pleased, and we live called-out lives and demonstrate that we are separated from this world unto God. Would you pray with me, please? Father, what good news. It's good news that Jesus died for our sins. It's good news that you have offered us a wonderful, everlasting, joyful life. It's good news that you recreated our spirit in your image when we received you as our Savior. Because now to live the life you called us to live is within us. It's who we are. Obedience to you is no longer foreign to us. It's who we are. And we are grateful, Father. We are grateful, not just for your love, but for your grace, your gift. Your gift of an overcoming life through Jesus Christ. Father, we've all struggled and there will be struggles ahead. But Lord, may your Holy Spirit continually remind us who we are in God, who we are in Christ. That we are new, nature, new creatures with your nature, your desires, and the power of your Holy Spirit within us to do that which you are working in us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.